0: I'm mean, gonna just do a quick introduction of myself while we're getting Dr. Kiana in here. My name is Dr. Erica Jordan Thomas. I am a former teacher, former principal. I started my education consulting business in October of 2017. And so at that time I was a principal and it was a, a decision that I made really out of a season of transition because it's interesting. If you pay if you were on my live or not my life. If you looked at my IG stories, a couple days ago, I was sharing this reflection around this devotional that I've been reading called 100 Days to Believing Bigger. And the devotional was talking about like how God uses disruption as a way to, to level us up or to place us on our path of purpose. And when I thought about that, it really resonated with me because my journey into, cons- into education consulting was a result of a disruption. And so I started my education consulting business in October of 2017. I was a principal. Through that experience, I, it allowed me to go back to school full-time so to get my doctorate. And so I was a full-time doctoral student, graduated last May, went full-time in my business. And now, in addition to my own personal consulting business, where I provide professional learning and coaching to school leaders, I also provide business development coaching to other educators who are ready to start their education consulting business. And so my second business is Get Launch Consulting, which is a business development program for high-performing educators for marginalized communities. And this week, we're hosting Get Launch Consulting Conversations, where we're having conversations with alums around their journey to growing and launching their education consulting business. So I'm so excited to have the opportunity tonight to hear from Dr. Kiana, who is on her way in. Hi, I'm excited. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm so excited to be here. Hi, That's everyone! Cool. Oh my goodness, you all show Dr. Kiana some love in the chat. And here's here's our unofficial rule or norm for this evening: is that as we go about having our conversation tonight. If there is something that is shared that just resonates with you, I want you to tap the hearts in our lives. And so that's just a way for us to build community together and for us to be able to interact with one another. I already see the hearts starting to come in. Awesome. This is a time for us to really be able to have a conversation around the journey that folks have had, the stories around people launching their own education consulting business. And I know that that can feel really, really scary for people who are early on in their journey, who are trying to make the decision of, should I go for it and should I not? And that was why I wanted to have the of these conversations because part of stepping into launching and growing your own education consulting business is around expanding what's possible for you. And it's my hope that these conversations that we have, they help you begin to expand your your sense of possibility of what can be true for you so mercedes has a a great question she said do districts use online platforms like stripe for payments and or strictly business bank accounts okay so i'll go ahead and answer this really great question from mercedes perfect thank you mercedes This is a great question. So let me first just clarify what um, Stripe is for folks. Because the question is, do districts use online platforms like Stripe for Payment or strictly business bank accounts? Let's first just name what Stripe is and the difference between Stripe versus a business bank account. So essentially, this question is like, what's the form of payment you'll receive from districts? Stripe is a, is a payment processor. So a payment processor is essentially anything that'll accept online payments. So typically, from a district standpoint, you will either receive payment in one of two ways. And I'm going to actually expand the word district to expand it to B2B organization. So when you are being contracted with another organization and you're not being paid by an individual, but you're being paid by an organization. Typically, you receive payments in one of two ways. You would either receive payment via check, which means that you'll need to have a business bank account to deposit that check in. Or, especially with the pandemic, this is coming becoming a more and more of a frequent payment option, but it was not always a payment option in my head. It's 2022, like why are people doing ACH deposit? But that is the second option. That you'll see uh, that I've noticed a lot of organizations starting to move to, particularly in the pandemic with people working from home and all those things. They now are starting to offer ACH deposit, which is essentially direct deposit payment into your bank account. So typically, districts aren't paying via a card for vendor services, they're paying via check um, or processing an invoice for ACH uh, deposit. All right, so we got Dr. Kiana with us. So, Dr. Kiana, Stop stop telling us about your education and uh, movie trailer. Walk us through your story and kind of some stops that you made along the way and what your current stop is in your, your career. Absolutely, absolutely. So thrilled to be here and share some 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 information with you all. My name is Dr. Kiana O'Leary. You can call me Dr. O, or my friends call me Key. So we family tonight. So you guys could just yes. like, hey Key. So I started really humbly in the classroom as an instructional aide, props to all my instructional aides, all my parents in the building. And then immediately I was thrown into teaching because the teacher that I was supporting went on a leave of absence and they asked me to long-term sub the course or the class. Mm-hmm. So freshmen, group of folks uh, in high school, science. That just was not my undergrad major. But hey, when you in education, you got to get in where you fit in. And from there, I love, love, love teaching. And I didn't want to go back to being a parent because I knew I had so much to offer young folks. But one thing that questioned me was, why were so many people or so many kids who look like me being in special education, especially when I knew that they had, they had the skills, they had the cognition, they just were having some behavioral challenges. And as we know, they were being disproportionately referred over to the special education department. So I knew I wanted to go into gen ed so that I could be on that team to really have conversations around equity and how are we determining what students need to go over to special education or to be tested. So equity had followed me from jump and it was because I started Mm -hmm. off in special education. Okay, so having that as like a brand, I went into becoming an English teacher Still working in high school. And again, I just started seeing more disparities with curriculum. So now it's kind of making me ask questions like, well, who makes the curriculum decisions? Well, how can I be a part of the curriculum team? OK, well, who's the department chair? Well, how can I become the department chair? So every time I saw that there was an opportunity for me to provide fairness, just just fairness for our folks and to really understand you know, why these top-down decisions were being made without considering the stakeholders that we were really supporting, my equity lands just kept, I kept getting knee deep in the, this, this realm of equity. Now, at the time, equity wasn't a buzzword. So I was just, you know, the angry black woman on every campus making a whole bunch of noise, but I was okay with that <laughs> title because that meant that my babies was getting the support they needed and their families. I then naturally matriculated into administration after going to the UCLA to get my uh, administrative credential oh, and masters. And I had the opportunity of having an ama- a, a variety of amazing professors I can name drop, but the only one that I'm really going to name drop is Dr. Tyrone Howard. He uh, really moved me in a way that inspired me to not look at what I was doing as a challenge, but looking at what I was doing as a disruption and as a service. And so I then knew that I was going to coin myself as a social justice educator. So from there on, I became a social justice administrator. And you knew if you were going to have me on your campus, you had to come correct when it came to black and brown kids because I was going to be all up in whosoever office I needed to be in to make some stuff right or to make some stuff make sense. After serving you know, in administration as the VP, I then eventually had an opportunity to decide to go and get my doctorate from, it was called Bradley University at the time. Now they leveled up and it's University of Massachusetts. They were bought out or they joined with UMass. So have mm-hmm. had the opportunity of being a part of that great program where I really learned about organizational leadership and what it looked like from the board of administration all the way down to the stoops to his cabinet. And I had to do a, a service project. And one of the service projects I wanted to do was really understand why we had years and years I mean, it was we 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 hear this word pandemic, but there's another word epidemic, and we were having this epidemic of black males who were the lowest on the total pole when it came to achievement, but who were the highest on the total poll when it came to discipline and when it came again to referrals to special education. And so, I wanted to really collect the data and really try to understand and and have conversations with parents. And after having conversations with parents, I went back to the superintendent. I said, you know what? We have an ELAC, which are a group of parents of English language learners who get to make recommendations to the school site council and they get to be represented at the board level. But we have no parent representation for African-American Black students. And so I proposed what was called APAC, African-American Parent Advisory Council. I piloted at my school. Another principal wanted me to pilot it at his school. I then took the data and was able to see that, look, when we partner with parents, students improve. When we partner Mm. with parents, students aren't sitting in the discipline office all day. When we partner with parents, they want to get engaged. When we partner with parents, they want to trust us. When we partner with parents, we can hear the backstory so we know why students are misbehaving or demonstrating behaviors that we want to support and help them, you know, get through. And so after having success with APAC, they then had me pitch it to the board of directors, which was a big deal. And I was able to get $400,000 on on my budget line and we went district-wide. So I became the district-wide APAC coordinator, requesting that we had a district-wide APAC representative in the office because parents was like, when I walk in the office, I don't see anyone who looks like me. I said, bet. All of these schools won't have somebody to look like you. And so I hired everyone and That work still goes on, even though I'm not there. But I just knew, like, okay, I've really, really made a plunge into this work called equity, right? And so after serving there, I opened up two charter schools in Los Angeles, uh, then went on and did a a transformation school, a school that was about to lose its accreditation, and really transformed that school. And afterwards, I got a little taste of higher education where I was working with aspiring teachers and aspiring principals. And now I am an assistant professor at Texas A and M University, with my own business, mentee educational consultant services, where we provide PB and we provide support for aspiring principals, so that they can get their life right for these folks, <laughs> 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 folks with color. <laughs> so, um, long journey, long winded, but that's that's my story. No, I'm speaking no, to it. Yeah like like my soul is like getting tingly when I hear you talk about your journey, A, just like the passion, the like values in which you speak from. And also my soul gets tingly because I'm like, when I think about this experience, and then I think about what's the traditional archetype for an education consultant, which is typically a white man with an MBA who's never worked in schools. Like when I think about, having you in the room versus that archetype archetype in the room, like the shift that that makes in outcomes, the shift that that makes in conversations, the shift that makes in priorities and values, like that like gets me fired up in my spirit tingly of like, yo, like some, some change is going to happen when Dr. Kiana is in the room. And so talk to us a little bit around like, it's interesting because even when you, when you share your story, it sounds very, you know, the the textbook you way to be entrepreneurial, where like you are, you are, you are exhibiting the qualities and characteristics of an entrepreneur within an existing organization. Because you, you, there's this theme in your story where like you create things, you make things happen, you you bring people together to be able to drive towards a common vision. And so, when it came to starting your business. Talk talk to us a little bit about like that decision and that like, like process, because was it something that was like really clear for you of like, this is the next step? Or is it something that, you know, like you had some reservations or hesitations? How, how was that decision for you? I've always felt that God has just orchestrated every step. Like every time I did one thing, it was like, a precursor to something I was going to do down the road. I may not have known, but I always believe that, you know, things I do today, they're going to somehow pay off for the things that I'm going to be doing in the future. And so really, I was really, really blessed to open up a charter school. They hired me and said, we have an idea, but here go a blank canvas. Draw. Dream. Do whatever you want to do. Here's the money. Develop a school. And so developing a school, I felt, was entrepreneurial in a sense because... You know, I had to uh, figure out everything. I mean, like, what type of curriculum? What's the bell schedule? How are we going to offer uh, special needs services? I mean, you name it, I had to piece it and put it together. And I'm really proud of that school. It was at the time that I named it. It was L.A. Promise Charter School. It's now the school that has recently been adopted by Russell Westbrook. So he bought us okay. out and uh, was like, yo, I want this school. I want to take over. So go ahead, brother. Uh, It's a (laughs) school in Los Angeles. And, you know, so after that, I kind of knew like in the back pocket, if I ever wanted to start a business, I would have some of those some of similar skills. But even after taking your course, there was so much that I needed to learn um, in that process. And so after developing that school and then going over to do a transformation school again, there was a school who was in high need of a turnaround principal They had like a year and some change to really get it together. They were going to lose their accreditation. God bless me. I was able to turn the school around in about four months and they were able to become an exemplar school in the uh, county of Los Angeles. And so from there, I kind of kept like feeling myself like, okay, I kind of got this under control in terms of this organizational leadership piece. What I wrote about in my dissertation is conversational leadership. And I really Mm -hmm. coined this idea. It's it's, It's a simple way of saying, how you talk to people is how you keep them. Mm. So I really, really perfected to the best of my own strength. Like how do I engage with my teacher so I can keep it? Mm. How do I engage with my students so I can keep them? Right. And so retention was really big for me and we was able to go strong with like 98% retention several years in a row because I learned how to speak their language. I learned how to Learned their love. I learned how to care, right? And it was really different because other principals wasn't rocking with me when I was willing to do some things that, you know, traditional principals wouldn't do. After leaving that situation was when I decided in uh, the pandemic. So I was inspired. One of my consultants, she and I, she was my assistant principal Hmm. and my dean. The three of us went to go see the Harriet Tubman story. Thank you. And that was in February of 2020 when that movie came out. And her nickname that her family called her was Minty, which is the name of our business. Right. And so it was really this idea of like, how can we help districts and organizations get to this level of freedom and authenticity where you can be 100% you 100% of the time? Like you don't have to conform or you don't have to be someone you're not. Like I'm from South Central. I don't care how refined I am and every degree you give me, I still have wood in me. So how can I <laughs> use that as an asset, right? Instead of it being looked upon as like, I need to only have French tip on my nails. Like, no, I like them dazzled. Like, that's what come I on. Like, oh, I have come to on. wear heels all day. I'm walking around in a high school. I want to rock James. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so like, how can you be you 100% of the time is really what I wanted to help principals become. Don't start this journey trying to be everything that everyone is expecting you to be, but really start this journey knowing your core values, being true to those core values, and allow your passion to do the work. And mm. so that's how Mental kind of was developed through this inspiration of watching the movie. And then from there, you know, being being shut down in a pandemic, just dreaming. And then those dreams really morphing into a manifestation. Mm. This is um, this a really critical point that I think is important for people to know is that I think for many educators, it can be hard for them to think of themselves as an entrepreneur because we actually, we don't make the direct, direct connection that the work that we're doing is so entrepreneurial of like, and I mean, you gave us a really clear example at the school leader level, but like when you're opening an entire school and, you know, I know, I, I know. There are some people who have reservations between making a the equivalency between a school and a business, but the reality is, is it's, it's it's you're opening a business now. You're not producing widgets like like we're we're educating children, but like like you're you're managing a budget, you're managing and overseeing departments. You have human resources that you know you're stepping into. There's also a marketing factor in terms of the external message, external affairs, public relations that you have to navigate within within your school building. And even at at the teacher level as well, well, it's still a very entrepreneurial role because your classroom is a business between the systems that you have to have in your classroom, the relationships that you have to, to build, even analyzing data, the way that I project my revenue it's not like this brand new concept for me because it's the exact same thing that I did when I was, I was analyzing student mastery, where I'm like, oh, this is a trapper. Like, I need a trapper for my money. Just like I was trapping, you know, student attendance or student achievement, I need a trapper for my money. And so I just want to make that direct connection for folks. Just so that way, you know, if you're, you're struggling with thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur, Part of that is it's realizing the ways in which you are already entrepreneurial in your role. So, Kiana, tell us a little bit about, and you, you were starting to kind of name this, but like, what's the problem that you solve and who is your target client? Our target client is aspiring leaders. We say aspiring leaders and we don't specifically say aspiring principals because we've learned that leadership looks different on multiple levels, Right. So, whether you're aspiring to be a coach or you're aspiring to be a superintendent, we didn't want to leave anyone out. So we really focus on people who are in one level or one field of their trajectory and they're making a move to have followers, people who they're going to you know lead towards targeted goals or towards a targeted achievement, right? And so it's really twofold. one, it's Well, how do you build relationships? So we really focus on relationship education. And relationship-centered education is really understanding how all of the stakeholders play a pivotal part in making sure that you get to those goals. And how do you work in multi-generational teams? And how do you work in multi-ethnic teams? And how do you work in diverse teams? And how are you inclusive in that in that endeavor? And the second piece we have is our equity piece, where... This one is really broad and it's because, you know, I always say equity is the new buzzword, but it should just be a lifestyle. It's kind of like you can lift weights or work out in January, but to really maximize your efforts, you want to live a, a healthy lifestyle. So I say you want to live an equity conscious lifestyle. And so we have really endeavored to focus with principals and their schools, but it has been so big that we have clinched with larger organizations, organizations, who work with students, organizations who don't work directly with students, but they're really interested in having, again, the folks in their teams learn like equity one-on-one. Like what is it or how do you use equity and inclusive practices to to be on a team and to work toward the dream? Mm-hmm. And so um, what sort of services do you all provide? So we public speak, we provide professional development, and then we provide one-on-one coaching and small group coaching. And so how did, you, how did you land on those services? Because here's what I see happen often. In the age of virtual learning, and everybody wants to do an online course. And in the age of people loving the idea of passive income, everybody wants to do an online course because they want to make money while they sleep. And here's actually the secret is that really the only really digital courses are not passive income because you still have to market it. So like, it is not completely, completely passive. Real estate is a, it's an example of passive income, but like not digital courses. So like, you named a couple of different examples of of services, but like how did you land on those particular services being a fit for you and a fit for your business? So in your course, there was a task that you had us do and we had to do a strength finders assessment. And then from the strength finders assessment, I'm going to I'm gonna mess this up, so I need your support. I need to tackle that. Wow. We had to like identify our Fill zone place. of genius. Zone of genius. Okay. We had to identify our zone of genius. And so from the zone of genius, I was able to really develop our funnel. And our funnel was like, how do we go from zero to public speaking? And how do we go from zero to landing a professional development? What is the track or what is the journey to get us from one place to the next? And so really ironing out those things and assessing my own strengths. But I have a firm So while I am the only employee for my for my consultant firm, I have five other consultants. And so I had Mm -hmm. to consider their strengths and I had to consider Mm. them. so I I walked them through the process. I let them and had them replicate like, what are your zones of genius? Mm -hmm. And then I had to make it sustainable. Right. Because if for whatever reason, they're no longer to be a part of the firm. How do I have sustainability within my my company? And so I was able to kind of leverage the, what's the medium that all of us kind of have in this like melting pot of us working together. What is that? What are those core things that we bring out and that we would attract for other future consultants who are willing to join our firm? And so we really landed on this idea of using opportunities through webinars to lead through this opportunity to have coaching opportunities, whether it's one-on-one or small group coaching, which would inevitably lead to professional development and public speaking. Hmm. So this is something really unique about your business is that you mentioned you're a firm. And so talk to us a little bit around the decision of being able to expand as a firm and, and being able to contract with other consultants because there's some people whose business model is they're the only one who's doing client delivery. And your model is, is different. This is actually one of the, this is actually a scaling strategy. And this is where folks have, what folks talk to me around the RFP process for school districts. I'm like, if you are, are just, if you're the only one who's delivering services in your business, you're likely not at the RFP position for the RFP process for a school district because the amount of client delivery work that are required for district RFPs. 1st of I'll in order for them to, to get to the stage of an RFP so for districts, it's different thresholds in terms of the budget. So in some districts it's 50K and other districts 100K. But usually with that level of scope of work, it actually requires a team of consultants and not just one person directly delivering. So tell us a little bit around the decision of what led you to making the decision of, you know what, I don't want this just to be myself. like I actually want a team of consultants to deliver the work. I just always do better when I work in groups. We have some of our students who they, they do better when they work in projects. They, so I understood my learning style. I understood my my work style. So I have a preference of working. And then, you know, I always say I do what Jesus did. If he had the teach a whole world about himself. He had disciples, right? So I just felt like, hey, I, I need some folks. I need some folks on my team. So I actually had the team before I even launched the business, right? I just mm. like, this is what I'm about to do. And they like, we with it. Whatever you come mm-hmm. up with, we we with it all. And then I was like, pause. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to go enroll somewhere. So I can learn. And so then I found, or I came across, you know, your Get Launched program and I enrolled. And I was still meeting with them on a weekly basis. And I I told them, like, I have to develop this. This piece has to come from me. And I'll tag you guys in when it's time for me to get your input. And so when we got to the point of, like, really identifying what kind of services we wanted to offer and really identifying, like, what was our problem and what was our solution and what was our zone of genius. And, like, that's when I tagged them in and educated them on what I was learning so that we could have and make collective decisions. And so how it works with us because after you schedule a consultation, we kind of really identify the specific needs of your district or the specific needs of your school. And then all of us are trained in the services that we provide. And so we look to see who's available. We always go in teams of two. And then I will schedule two consultants to go and work with your staff. And so I really am the last to go up, if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, because I do so much of the major overhead that I always will schedule my consultants unless someone is just uh, specifically asking for me to come and speak. So we just got a quick question. Can you explain the RFP process and is that establishing a contract with a client? So I'll just give a quick voiceover and Dr. Kiana would love for you to add any experience that you have with RFPs. So RFPs, I put this in the chat, stands for a request for proposal. So essentially, in your B2B model, so there's two business models, uh, two possible business models. There's B2C, which is business to client, which means that the direct consumer who is paying for your, your services is an individual, right? So like Netflix is a B2C model because we individually as people are paying a monthly fee to, to engage with Netflix, Or you could have a B2B model, which is business to business, which means that your client who's signing the contract is an actual business or organization. So typically, well, not typically, RFPs live on the B2B side, not the B2C, because you're not submitting a proposal to work with the individual, you're submitting proposals to work with the organization or business. Not all consulting engagements on the B2B side require an RFP. My experience of when RFPs are a part of the process is when you are at the district level, not really the school-based level. At the school-based level, if it hits a certain price range, then they require an RFP. So even as a principal, I would hire consultants all the time and didn't need to go through an RFP process because it was under, I think for my school district, it was 50K. So if it was under 50K, then you didn't need to do an RFP process. But if it was over 50K, you'd have to do an RFP process, which basically means you have to write up what you're interested in, what you're looking for, and do a request for a proposal and get people to submit proposals. And then you make a decision. It's almost, the intention is that you can't just pick who you want to give $50,000 to. You actually have to do some interviews for And the interviews are the proposal. So I just named that because RFPs are one way, but it's not the only way in which you're securing clients. And oftentimes RFPs happen when in a, in a traditional school setting standpoint, when it's a large contract and towards at the district level. And or I've seen them a lot of times in the nonprofit space where there really isn't a threshold of how much the contract is for. They just typically put out a request for proposals so they can get as many people it's almost like you're applying for the job, like it's, it's the RFP. And so, Dr. Kiana, what would you add, any facts around the RFP process or proposal? If you have additional questions, drop those into the chat. I would say like that is the, you know, I, I used to give my staff this analogy all the time. And I said, if we were in the animal kingdom, you are the turtles and I'm the giraffe. And that means you like go outside and you stick your neck to the left and to the right. You come back in, that means you only know things at your level of education. And as the giraffe, I have to know everything that's going on. And I say, if you're going to transition into the entrepreneur space, you want to become more giraffes and a giraffe needs to know, like, how do you get money from a district? Mm -hmm. Because teachers don't think about that. You only think about lessons and and kids, which is amazing. But if you want to start, start thinking as a boss, like you have to think like, what are the process for me to get money from a district? And so I know that in the charter space, it's a little, right. the process is, is, tends to be simpler or simplified because they don't have as much bureaucracy to go through in order to make something happen. Whether it's to go on a field trip or to you know have a consultant, it's pretty much you go to that principal, that principal makes a decision. If they have to go to the board, they'll go to the board or they'll retract and have it on the board docket after they've already con- contracted with the vendor. Whereas larger districts, and I think it's regional, because mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, I do remember having a threshold of 50K. So anything under 50,000, your principal can make the decision. They can say, mm-hmm. yes, I'm going to go ahead and contract with XY consultant, and they're going to offer professional services for my staff. I'm here now in Houston, Texas. Texas is a different beast. Well, Texas they said- is its own. They say Texas is its <laughs> own country. It's Texas <laughs> and Florida. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes. So with Texas, me going through the RFP process, I don't care if it's $25. You have to do the RFP process mm. with Texas. Okay. Mm. And so I've had to learn that. And that's me having my giraffe mindset, right? Really looking around the landscape because I'm in a new region. I'm not in Los Angeles anymore. And if I want to do business with folks out here, I have to learn what is the process. And so the process is you go through RFP. You submit your proposal. It is a very lengthy process. But once you submit the process and you are approved, then you have a seven-year approval. And then any school in the district can render your services because you're now on the vendor list.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So you jump through a lot of hoops and hurdles, but it's worth it because you don't have to renew every year. You renew every seven years. And at that Mm. time, sky is the limit. There isn't a threshold on how much you can charge for your services. It's just the negotiation between you and that site leader. And some Mm. sites will tag teams. So it'd be like side principals wanting you to render services for all of their teachers, et cetera. So Mm. I'm in that latter part of the process with the largest district here in Texas. I won't name, but you can research. Yeah, yeah. And with that being said, that's, you know, putting my... Services out there on the list to all of those schools who can then seek me for a professional service, mm-hmm. and so so it sounds like then on the Texas side of things that you all are doing an RFP to be an approved vendor. Is that yeah. correct? Yes. So that's an important n- note to to make for folks is that, and first I'm naming that. But this is this is a part of your market research as an entrepreneur, right? Like a part of your market research when you're on a B2B model is understanding how vendors get paid, how consultants get paid. So so this is, is one of those things that if you have a research, like you need to put that on your list. And the research could look like Googling. The research could like talking to, you have a friend who's a principal, a friend who works in the district office, a friend who works in the State Department, having those conversations. No, this is a part of your research. So let's just clarify this because, you know, as Dr. Tiana mentioned, every district, every state has a different type of, of RFP or vendor process. Or I just wanna just dis- create a distinction between the two. How I've seen many um, districts and I'll speak from a, a traditional district system and not in the charter space. i have seen many of them where we can apply to be a vendor and Dr. Fionaing that in Texas it's an RFP process. I've seen many other dishes where it's not an RFP uh-huh. process. It's you're just you're just applying to be a vendor. Where you put in some information. This is why you need to have your EIN number. This is why you know you need to do some official business structuring things because you can't apply to be a vendor without an EIN number, which is an employee identification number, which is basically like your social security number but for your business. You have to have an EIN number in order to be an approved vendor. Once you become an approved vendor, then you start getting access to the opportunities on the actual RFP requests. So you would might start getting an email of this school is looking for someone to do curriculum development. This school is looking for someone to do PD. This school is looking for that. And So you can even just start thinking particular school districts that you're interested in. Just look and research on their website for their vendor process to become an approved vendor so you can start finding out about opportunities. But I say that to say the reason why I don't recommend that for people just starting out in their consulting business is that is typically a large contract. The scope of work is typically significant, to where that is typically not your first, second, or even your fifth contract, <laughs> because typically. For people who, who secure RFP from districts, that is either the one contract they have for the entire year or like Dr. Keanu, who has a firm, they have a team of consultants to where they can sub- tra- subcontract other consultants to help them execute on the work. So I wanted to go into that so that way people yeah. have that information, but also they, that that you can get contracts with schools without requiring an RFP. So like, I don't want people who are early on in their journey to put so much energy in trying to figure out RFPs. But I will say, you do need to know how to write a proposal because if I have a principal who reaches out to me about PD, and it's about an RFP process, but after we have a consultation, I still write up a proposal because I'm like, this is is what I'm proposing as the scope of work for these services. Here's what I'm proposing as payment schedule. So you could still be writing proposals without going through an RFP process. Mercedes, if you could clarify your question, I think, could Mercedes ask? She said, Dr. O, does that include charter schools? I think she's asking about the RFP process in Texas, if that includes charter schools. No, it does not include charter schools. That's just for large districts. Got it. Mm-hmm. Mercedes, I didn't think I realized you were in Houston. I, For some reason, I thought you were still in North Carolina. So that's good to know. Okay, So talk to us about the, the contract process. So like, what have been some of the strategies that you've leveraged in order to secure contracts, and then we're going to start talking about mindsets and money and pricing and stuff. But talk to mm-hmm. us about some of your, some of your um, strategies when it comes to securing clients. Yeah, marketing is, marketing is everything, really. It, it really is the bread and butter of, of your business journey. So for me, or for, for us, one of the things that we leveraged was as a, as a consultant firm, we really identified who are all the bosses that we've ever worked for, right? Let's think of every school, let's think of every leader, let's think of every assistant superintendent, let's think of every charter owner, let's think of every nonprofit who works with a charter owner. And we created a list, and then we sent out a letter that really said, like, this is who we are, this is what we're doing. And this is who's all on the team. Right. So that was like part one was really looking at our own professional network and then reaching out to folks who kind of already know that kind of already know our bona fides, if you will. I don't have to prove anything to you because you already know my work ethic or you already know a little right. bit about my professional practice and background. And then next after that was I really decided to join many, many, many groups on Facebook. Right. So leverage social media, leverage social media. So after leveraging the social media groups, then it was having consistency on my social media platforms. Right. And so finding, you know, there are tons and tons of platforms. The platform that I use is Canva. And so with Canva, I have uh, social media ads and social media information that goes out daily. Right. And I schedule it on uh, the last Sunday of the month and it automates to all of my social media platforms every day at the same time on its own. And so then by getting some connections with people seeing me on social media and then going over to our website and then wanting to do uh, consultation, and then from there, it kind of spiraled after that. But I would say the two starting points were our internal professional network and then externally, it was leveraging social media through a like-minded Facebook and Instagram groups. Uh, how long would you say it takes from like when you first make a connection with someone? So uh, I'm thinking of a scenario that's not an RFP process. How long would you say it would take between when you make a connection with someone to when it becomes a real conversation around contract? Okay. We celebrated that. It was exactly 30 days from our launch that we got our first contract. Y'all better hit the heart for that. Come exactly on. 30 days from our launch. So we launched purposely. I, I, so I, can't, I, have, I can't have too many things I have to remember. So let's, I'm just going to launch on my birthday. So it's Minty's birthday. <laughs> Minty's birthday and my birthday on the same day. So we launched August 12th of 2021. And then by September 12th, we were already in contract. Oh, that's dope. That's dope. Amen. And that was something that was already within the exa- <laughs> That was someone that was already within the, the network. So that was someone who knew one of our firm members who was an assistant principal and who had asked for us to come and do professional development for their for their team. Oh, then it had to have been before September 12th because I knew we did the professional development before school returned. They returned the day after Labor Day. So, Uh, uh. this is why I said, like, you always know your first point. And this is why I'd be telling folks, like, you shouldn't be focused on RFPs at the beginning. (laughs) Like, 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 work the network. Work who you know, that that is the value of being an educator, going into education consulting, is that your entire network is your target client. Like they are there. Like they are either people who are in in direct relationship with or they're one degree removed, right? Yes. And so I love the fact that you named that just like the power of your network, but there's contracts currently sitting in your network. And part of our role as entrepreneurs is to figure out, okay, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to be having conversations with? And the actual follow through mm-hmm. on those conversations. So, mm-hmm. Dr. Kiana, talk to us. Like, I always named that like entrepreneurship is a consistent mindset journey. It's a consistent mindset journey. So, what would be like one to two mindsets that I mean, you've had to work through, or might be still working for you as you're mm-hmm. as growing your consulting firm? Well, one of the things we did with you was we wrote a letter to our mind trash. And so, again, I have me and my team, we wrote a letter to our mind trash. And it really was one of the podcasts you got us listen to. I I say this all the time. I can't remember the the lady, but she was very wealthy. And she said, there's money all around us. Mm -hmm. You just got to go get it. And when I really that really resonated with me, like there people are cutting checks every day. There's a check that's being processed every day. And I just need it to be processed to me. And so what am I doing to be on that name of the next check? And so it's always like thinking outside of the box. I spend so much time journaling and so much time really getting into my safe, calm space. I got that from Mm -hmm. my therapist, hashtag therapy matters, right? I get into my safe, calm space and I really just journal. What is my next move? And so, again, one of the things I wanted to do was leverage public speaking spaces so that people would be interested in hiring us as consultants, right? So that's going to educational conferences and providing some type of Mm -hmm. lecture or, or professional. It's not a professional development, but you're providing a seminar or a workshop for that day. And then your audience will then have access to you and could possibly leverage you as someone who's worked on their campus. And I kept hitting roadblocks and I kept feeling this this rejection. Like, why don't they want our proposal? What about it? That What about our proposal isn't hidden? What about, what, what are we saying? What are we not saying? And so one of the things I had to kind of get away from was this idea of uh, not liking the word No. When you go in business, you're going to hear the word no so often that you have to just develop thick skin. It is not a direct reflection of you. It is just a part of the journey. I received a no today on a grant that I wrote. And I just said, mm-hmm. okay, well, there's some other money out there I need to go look look for and apply for, right? And so I wanted to be a part. I wanted to uh, speak at certain, a certain conference and I was getting the no and then clicked just like that. And when I was in my cool con space, I just got a word from the Lord and it was like, start your own conference. And so <laughs> we are hosting our own conference in April, the Equity Ingenuity Conference, We're looking for proposals. If you want to use our platform to speak your truth, please uh, hit us up on our website. But it's, it's, it's thinking ahead of things like, how are you becoming mm-hmm. fresh? How are you becoming innovative? How are you being different than others, right? And so even in me just offering this conference space, I've had a plethora of people wanting to connect with me, which has expanded the network, which has led to other contracts. So mm-hmm. I think it's just that the thing that I had to work through was this idea that I I'd no is that there's something yeah. wrong with us or there's something wrong with with our work, rather than looking at it as just an opportunity to think outside the box and gear up for the, the next best thing. Mm. How do you think about pricing in your business? And I think this is interesting, particularly because you have a firm. So you have a team. And so what are some of the strategies that you use to think through pricing? And then we're going to get to a couple of questions quotes dropped in the chat. I am just pulling up my price sheet. So we do have a price sheet and we, we break it down with our services, right? And so we thought about When you asked us to come in public speak, you know, how much is that worth? Like, are we now charging by the hour? Which we decided, yes, that if we were going to offer, you know, any type of public speaking, whether it's for an hour, it goes to two hours, then then that's a certain amount of money that we would then charge. And then our next bucket was then uh, dropping into professional development. And we really had to consider the amount of service uh, time that it takes to develop the content for the professional development, the materials for the professional development, and then the time. It's different if it's going to be prefer- virtually offered versus if you want us to fly in person. Now we have to consider lodging and transportation right, right. So I think oftentimes if you just throw out some arbitrary number like $100 per hour, you're not really considering all those other pieces. And you end up going under than actually making a profit. Right. And so we have to write down, like, what are all the things that we would need in order to successfully provide schools with the professional development and then offer a package virtual versus in-person. And then our last bit was our coaching. If you have a particular principal that just wants one-to-one coaching versus if you're in a large district and you have seven principals, then it's going to be a different rate per person, right? So instead of doing Mm -hmm. hourly, it's more so per person because we firmly believe that the support that we provide this person it will sustain throughout you know, generations and years of them being on that campus. And so that one is not an hourly rate, that is more of a person. So again, first bucket is hourly, the next bucket of services is daily and then The last bucket is per person. And so it it just depends on the services and we have to just consider all those things. And there have been times where we have been in the negotiation process and I submit the contract and we go through back and forth the negotiations and they tell me that's just not too, that's too high, that's too, whatever the case may be. And I just have to say, well, um, we hope that you find the best fit. But we really stand firm or we know that we know the quality of work that we're going to give you. We're not going to move off of, of who we are and what we believe we, we deserve. I love that. There's two things that you named that I want to point out. First, is one of the missteps that I made early on in my consulting career was not considering prep in my pricing. And so just want to underscore that for people. Is that something that you mentioned is if you're delivering, let's say, PV. You're not just pricing for the time of like delivering the PD. You should also be pricing considering the prep that you need going into that professional development. So if you have to design the session, if you have to practice, you mentioned the, the material, supplies, if you're making if it's in person and you're making handouts and copies. That should also be baked in and embedded into your pricing. The other piece that people often forget in their pricing is you should be baking in taxes into your pricing on the front end rather than the back end. So Alex, a consultant, you are an independent contractor, which means they're not taking taxes out of your payment, which means that every check that you get, you need to be reserving the portion of taxes. And so you need to be thoughtful of that when you're considering your pricing. Okay. So we have two questions here. Um, Someone asked, when, you, when y'all are identifying districts to market towards, how often are those districts resistant to outside help or consultants? Mm, I unfortunately haven't came across a district that we look to that one of us haven't already worked in. So it just so happens that the districts that we have contracts with are districts and organizations that we know someone or we ourselves were at one point a part of the, those organizations, so we have been referred by the people that we've worked with, like we I have a few in, I have a few on the docket right now that are referrals, but even those referrals are through an organization or a district that we've already worked for and that we were already in close connectivity with. Some of us are even supporting districts that we were students of, so there's, there's always some thread. And so we just haven't had, in in our infantry state, we just haven't had the experience of being a cold referral or a cold client that we had no um, connectivity with. So my side along the lines of this question is that if you are marketing towards a district and you receive resistance to outside or consultant, then you have the wrong marketing strategy. Um, And so typically you're going to experience that when you're marketing towards a cold audience and I'm, this isn't to say that you shouldn't be marketing towards a cold audience, but there's a different type of approach and messaging that you have with complete strangers, people who don't know you versus your previous employer who like they know you, like you work for them, they know your work. When well, that's a completely different marketing message and marketing strategy. And so if you're having the experience of a district is resistant to outside help or consultants, then you need to tweak your marketing strategy because that means that You have either the wrong message or the wrong strategy. And then the second question is, Dr. O, did you have all business models in place prior to your launch? Yes. Like the the services, the business model. and, And that's why I highly recommend that you go through the Get Launched program because I don't think there was a task that Erica asked us to do that I didn't thoroughly do. Like over the top do. And that's only because of the entrepreneurial mindset that I already had come to the the, the course with or the program with. I already had that background experience. So I don't know the amount, but if there were 20 tasks, then we did them thoroughly before we launched. I don't recommend that you do that. Again, I keep wanting to reiterate that I have a team, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just myself. I have a, a team of folks. Multiple of them are have their PhDs. We have a few in higher ed. Many of them are all of them are principals or have been a principal. So they come, we, we come with a big collection of skill sets that when I'm asking one of my consultants to do a particular task, they would do it with fidelity and bring it back to us so that we can kind of think through the process. If you're doing this by yourself, I definitely feel that you should like prioritize which phase of what you're going to complete. And, and Erica could probably speak more to that if you need to be 100% ready before launch. I know she's gonna say no. <laughs> but, <laughs> because, I mean, you, you'll you find yourself delaying. You'll find yourself right. like, I'm not ready. And, and that's the teacher in us, right? And that's the teacher, that's the educator in us that we feel that we need to be 100% ready. And there are some gems that you have in your mouth that someone needs to hear in their ear, and your delay. Is their dilemma. I'll say that mm-hmm. one more time. Mm-hmm. Your delay is their dilemma. So help them with their dilemmas and don't delay the gems that you have to speak to somebody and teach somebody. And it doesn't matter. You know, you may think that you need to have the best PowerPoint or the best brand or that you need to have all these colors and all these things, your best contract. You'll be surprised that people will accept you as you are. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. I just wrote that down. Your delay is their dilemma. And here's what I tell people because, you know, I work with high-performing educators from marginalized communities. And here's what I know about high-performing educators from marginalized communities because A, it's me and it's the people that I've worked with. I've, I've had over 200 folks go through our program. Is that there is a, a spirit of perfectionism that, that we have operated from in our career, that in some ways it's been a survivor strategy of we have had to show up with all of our T's crossed and our I's dotted because we know that when we have an identity that has historically been marginalized in this country, when we don't show up as 110%, the consequences are not just on our back, but they're on the backs of, of our community. We also know that we are more likely to experience harsher consequences when our teeth are crossed and our eyes are dotted. So I just named that because there's a part of of our perfectionism that has served us in in many ways. And in your business, you will have to divorce perfectionism. You will have to unlearn perfectionism, and actually, you need to unlearn it. Period. But like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to overlook the fact that for many marginalized people, perfectionism is a survival strategy. And so especially when you're living on a racist and capitalistic society, perfectionism is a survival strategy for many marginalized people. So I get it and I understand it because I've done it. And in my business, when I tried to operate in the same way of perfectionism, of having everything so, so right and tight and waiting on certain things to fall into place, I was actually losing money. Because I was delaying, I was delaying talking to clients. I was delaying launching the thing. I was delaying talking about the new service when part of of the unlearning and the shifting of our mindset that we need to do is as entrepreneurs, you learn by doing. So you have to do the thing in order to get clear on the next step. You can't think yourself through your business. You can't Google yourself through your business. You can't YouTube and read articles and books and your Kindle through your business, you have to do it through your business. And when something doesn't, doesn't pan out the way that you want it to, it's actually a celebration of like, ah, I learned that. I'm clear on that. Let me Now I can pivot because I know that thing doesn't work. That's actually a win. It's for me to know that I need to tweak this thing. So I really appreciate you sharing that for people because that's the big piece that I see holding so many people back is this marriage with perfectionism that I want to shake. I'm like, you know, there is someone out there loud and wrong. Get the money. Someone out there, get your money because we want to wait on your website or wait on your logo. I need you to just go and do it. All right. Dr. Kiana, what do you have coming up in your business? Name the conference. So I want you to name that for people again, but what do you have coming up in your business you want folks to know about and who should reach out to you and how can they reach out to you? Okay, that's a load of questions. I go fast cuz I know folks are getting antsy. So, one of the big things I'm really gearing everyone towards is on April 23rd. That's my grandmother's birthday. Everything is a date mm. for me. There's there always some significant date, so my grandmother who has dementia no longer remembers who I am. Uh, in the spirit of of recognizing and celebrating her birthday. April 23rd, I would love for you all to join me. Minty Education Services, we're hosting the Equity Ingenuity Conference. Our keynote speaker is none other than Dr. Tyrone Howard from UCLA. He is one of the gurus of equity. So I would really, really want you to come sign up. You can go to our website at dash e s. That's menti-es.com and the conference registration information is there. We've started, again, our Crucial Conversations for Radical Educators. That is a free webinar that we host every month and it's typically the third Saturday of the month. You can go as soon as you go on our website, there's a banner. You click, you register, it's free and we always have a special guest that is going to come and speak. The gentleman who will be speaking, uh, Brother Barron, he's speaking in January the 22nd, I believe. And this brother has uh, mandated that his district requires every high school student to take equity courses before graduating. Mm -hmm. And has also mandated that they have the removal of the Los Angeles County Sheriff from campuses And he is a AP history teacher, but he is on the move and he is making things happen in his community and in his district. And so we're so excited to have him come and speak. And again, this is for the radical educator. So we hold no bars and we are unapologetic in what we confess and what we say. So come join us. Every third Saturday of the month uh, at our free webinar series is called Crucial Conversations. I'll be speaking this Saturday at UMass for those who are interested in looking to get your your educational degree, your doctorate degree in education leadership. They are hosting a, a virtual seminar and they've asked me to do one of the breakout session, sessions this Saturday. I'll be dropping the link on my Instagram page. So if you want to come check it out, you definitely come. And just really learn about the program for those of you who want some letters behind your name and you want to uh, be a part of a good program. I really recommend UMass. I graduated from there, and I, I really love the program because it allowed me to be a full time worker, which I still am. And then I'm just, just, just. This is hot off the press. No one else knows this, but I'll share. It with you. Bam! I just signed with a publishing company, so I have a book dropping. Yay! <laughs> Uh, I didn't want to do the self-publish, which I don't like self-publishing. I, I lo- ha- however you got to get your information out, get your information out. But yes, drop in, drop in a uh, book. Um, we're finishing up the contract and it should be coming out pretty soon. We don't have a title yet. I have the title. There's some pushback whenever you deal with a, ma- a major publisher and I'm going to push right back until we land on that, that title that I need for everyone to have. But yeah, just I, I would say this is uh, and everything that I'm telling you is like the start date is August. So I don't want you to think like I've been doing this for like two years or three years. Like I'm still a rookie, right? I'm still a rookie myself. And so I always say like, if I can do it, you can do it. I always have to give it up to King Jesus, who was ahead of my life. Like I'm not that smart. So I know that it's the guidance. I'm able to do what I do. And yeah, if you guys have any questions, I'm a sister to you. I think we're all in the same community of education, the community of people who just want to do right by kids. At the end of the day, we have a passion to do what's best for kids. And so if there's any questions, any way that I can support, I'm, I'm just a DM or a email away. Awesome. Uh, two solid question. Someone wanted to clarify, is it UMass Amherst? UMass Global, which is a uh, part of the UMass Amherst uh, family. And then someone asked, what's the book about? Uh, so the tentative title is called Lead with Truth. And again, it's just this whole idea for principals to shake off this idea that you need to conform, that you need to be perfect in order to run schools, but really embrace your core values. And I have some anecdotes and some situations that I've experienced with some research-based practices to help principals really be true to themselves and in their skin and uh, learn how to work with folks so that you can provide uh, educational services for our kiddos. And one portion of it, it was I had a teacher who was about to have a miscarriage. And everything in me stopped what I was doing and put her in the car and rushed her to the hospital because at the end of the day, she didn't have a mother in town. She Her husband was at work. And so other principals you know, would have been like, I can't do that. I can't put them in my personal car. And I felt like this is a young lady who's about to give birth or possibly not give birth. And how can I love her and just be authentic to myself? Because that's what I would do to any human being. So why would I stop, not, uh, stop being who I am because I have a principal uh, role? And so I think so often there's like this, you have to be two separate people when you're a principal. You have to be this professional person and you have to be this other person. And I said, no, nah, if you want me to be on your campus, I'm going to be 100% me 100% of the time. I love it. And Mercedes, I see your question. When researching proposal templates, how do you know if it's a good template or not? So, Canva has proposal templates. Yes. They don't really provide much guidance in terms of the, come to the sections you need to have. Actually, I just pulled that while we we're sitting here talking, my blog post is answering this exact question hmm. How do we create a proposal and the sections you should have in it? Dr. Kiana, thank you so much. Of course. and by your journey. We're celebrating your journey. We're so excited to witness. All the things that are coming to you and your business in 2022. And we're just sharing and written for you. Y'all make sure you follow Dr. Kiana and we're excited. So thank you for this. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. And please sign up. Remember, your delay is somebody else's dilemma. They mean, them. sign up now. All right. Have a good night.